this community college and really all community colleges were founded on an innovative idea that's kind of a crazy idea at the time. That idea is this, that anybody who lives in this country or everybody who lives in this country should have access to higher education. No matter your income, no matter your age, no matter your race, no matter where you live, you should be able to go to college. And when this college was founded 50 years ago, there was a movement across the country of colleges just like this being built. And many of us are, have been here long enough to remember some of the founding faculty that still worked here. And for them, working here as being part of this larger thing, that, this innovation that was happening in higher ed that transformed higher ed. Many of us now think that we just have a community college in our backyard and we take it for granted. But this institution and institutions like it were brand new and were a new thing that had never been done. And we are all, we inherit this and we keep it going forward. And when it was founded, there was an agreement. And the agreement was that we would be funded by a third of our budget would come from property tax, so people that live in our district. A third would come from the state of Illinois. And a third would come from students paying tuition. About, I don't know, four years ago, the percentage from the state was down to about 12% for us, rough numbers. This year, we haven't received all of our money, but we are anticipating getting less than 8% of our budget from the state, if we get it. Um, so the funding crisis is being felt. And on top of that, there are grants, MAP grants in particular, that are supposed to help the students with the most financial need so that they have access to higher ed. And so we wanted to host this event to have this conversation about what's happening in Illinois, especially leading into the November election. Because um, we're in a good position at Moraine Valley, but some of our peer schools are laying off employees, cutting programs, um, and this is across the state. So with that being said, we wanted to hear directly from students who are impacted, and then we'll hear um, from the senator to talk about where we are as a state and how you can be involved and um, have your voice be heard. So with that, I will turn it over to our students to introduce themselves. Thank you for, for being here. Oh, and I want to acknowledge, um, before, I'm gonna mess this up, um, President Jenkins is unable to be here today, um, so she sends her, the president of the college, sends her um, welcomes, so I'm sorry I didn't say that at the top, and I want to um, thank you to Trustee Coleman, who's one of our uh, trustees uh, for the college, is able to come and be here in her place, so thank you for being here, sir. Um, okay, I almost missed it, but I didn't. So with that, let me turn it over um, to our students. There you go. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Karina. This is my third semester here at Moraine Valley. Um, my major is political science, so I'm a political science degree. And some of the involvements that I am in this school is political science activism club. And I'm also part of student life as well. So. Hi, my name is Armani Baker. I'm a freshman here at Moraine Valley. My major is mass media communications. I am a student aide at Multicultural Student Affairs Office and I'm the president of the Black Student Association. Hi, my name is Nakaira Lewis. Um, I'm a freshman here at Moraine Valley Community College. My major is athletic training. I'm also a student aide at Multicultural Student Affairs and um, Secretary of Black Student Association. Hi, my name is Susan Ismail. I am a returning adult student here at Moraine Valley Community College. I am a sophomore, almost there for graduation. Um, and I am the president of the Political Activist Club, a Roosevelt chapter here on campus. So I will start off. Um, it's already been 
a little preface for me. It's already been a struggle for me to come to college because of my ethnicity, mostly like the stereotypes that we have are the women after school should just pretty much go home clean. And that's something that my family was always looking upon is having me be a stay-at-home woman, um, attending the family and everything. And that's something that I didn't want to do. I wanted to make a difference of myself and for my future generation of children, grandchildren. So it's already been a difficulty, but luckily I did have like family members that, some family members that did support me. For example, my mom. My mom's been a big support of um, my college um, going, and here I am today. So what I'm going off right now, how the MAP funds have impacted me personally, the lack of them. Um, well, first of all, my parents are lower middle class families, so they pretty much make lower than the middle come of the middle class. Um, and it's sometimes a struggle because my parents don't make as much and usually the fundings that I receive are not enough for my parents to help me, and which is something, another factor that I would go off is that my parents were not like my parents were not helping me financially, so I financially had to support myself in my own schooling. So that required me to have two jobs, one here at Student Life and another side job that I have. So that's been a hard work for me. It's been a struggle handling school, handling two jobs, and the lack of funding made me like have a struggle to maintain school and how to pay it off. Um, it also has been a struggle for me to handle schooling as well as like starting off the school year. I had to think about I need to pay for school by the end of the semester, but it's always an exceeding amount that I can't pay. So sometimes, like for example, this semester I had to pay $500 in books for my classes, which is an exceeding amount and having to worry about paying the portion that the government my FAFSA has not covered, for example, the MAP grant funding, that's another $500 that I have to worry about or more. So without the lack of funding, for me, it would be a difficulty for me to be going to school right now. And yeah. Yeah, well, I have to agree with you. Um, it's been a struggle. Um, I'm actually paying out of district tuition, so that was a choice that I made not to attend the community college that's around my neighborhood because Moraine Valley is one of the top community colleges. So uh, I wanted my education journey to be the best so I can exceed in life. Um, but it also caused me to take out a loan, which is frustrating because I don't want to be in debt in a community college, but it's a choice that I made so that I can be ahead in my career path. Um, and it, it also made me choose between what books I wanted to purchase and what books I wanted to check out of the library because the lack of not receiving the uh, MAP money put me in that situation. So I don't have enough time to um, complete all of my homework assignments in the library, so therefore I'll probably have to come back here more than once in one day, which is a struggle because I work here on campus, so I have to do my job and do my homework. 
So, yeah, the struggle is real. <laughs> um, same as Armani and Carissa? Was it right? Karina. Karina, sorry. Um, yeah, I did have a struggle in the beginning of semester and both of my semester here in Moraine Valley. Um, because I come from a low-income family, um, it was hard for me to come to school and like pay for my tuition because I was charged with out-of-district fees. Um, my grandma helped pay for only half of it, but I was still struggling because I had to pay the rest off. Um, I didn't get a job until like the second semester here in Moraine Valley. I was um, way behind in like um, my payment. Um, also, my sister went to the same, no, my sister started the same year, like um, went to college too. So she had to take out loans and she, my grandmother paid for her too a little bit, but still it wasn't enough. Um, because of, sorry. Um, sorry. Um, because um, I didn't have any money to go to school, I thought about dropping out or like not attending school. Um, because I felt it was really hard for me to like get up and like try to go to come go to my classes because I didn't have any books. Um, because going to the library it was helpful, but like working on campus it was really a struggle because I had to go to class, go to work, and like come to the library. Um, since I had to take the bus, um, it was kind of a struggle because I was trying to I was worrying about going. Um, home on time because the bus would stop at a certain time so I had to you know leave school early or like um, wake up early <laughs> sorry um, so there it is hi my name is Susan Ismail I'm a returning adult student here at Moraine Valley Community College I'm also a recipient of the MAP grant um, that has taken me a long time to admit that I needed help um, as a single mom, I uh, raised my kids. I worked my whole life. I paid taxes my whole life into the system and was faced as a single mom how to take care of my kids on a lesser than living wage um, and decided that college was the answer to go back to school and to get a degree. And uh, came back to Moraine Valley Community College and was in need of help and asking for help. And that, that to this day is hard for me to admit. Um, what has happened in the last uh, few years is you, I work three jobs right now to be able to make the bills and to swing um, working at class. I did have to downscale from full-time last year to part-time. That hurts, to be honest with you. I've seen a couple graduating classes and it's been hard to uh, watch people graduate that you saw come in after you and they graduate before. But I had to do that to be able to make ends meet. Uh, this particular semester, the MAP grant really hit me hard. Um, up to this point, I hadn't accepted any MAP grant funds I did on scholarship. I was finally qualified for the MAP grant this last year and we all know what happened with the budget and uh, the, fire, the um, funds for higher education that uh, we didn't receive MAP grant. And then when we did receive the MAP grant, um, it was a week after summer courses had started. So I was planning on using that MAP grant money, which was a little extra and over and beyond the amount, but that refund that would have came to me would have been my summer school to be able to graduate with the class this year. 
And because those funds were not um, released and dispersed in enough time, I had to forego summer and come back as part-time student. Um, I'm also an advocate of the MAP grant. I've been a couple years now here on campus for those students who are really struggling to make ends meet uh, within their family who've gone without books. I've also been a student without books and that's hard to maintain a good GPA without a book. I'm doing that now with math and uh, it's not an easy place to be. So um, I'm hoping that this uh, situation with the state gets resolved um, soon. There are a lot of students um, and as uh, she said also, I had thought about not taking classes. I'm 57 credits in, and I thought maybe I should just not come this semester because I had to take on another job. So it is imperative to myself, and I'm sure many other students here that are relying on those funds to complete their education and not wanting to have to start dead off at a community college um, that will uh, saddle them for the rest of their lives. So um, we are hoping that the legislators will come to an agreement for this upcoming year um, and that MAP grant and uh, higher education will continue to be a priority in our state. Thank you. Okay, ladies, is there anything else you'd like to add that maybe came to your mind as we were talking? Like she said, it is a struggle, so. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, okay, how about a round of applause? This is uh, not easy to do. Thank you so much for doing that. You can, you can join our, our audience. Thank you. It is my pleasure to welcome Dellen Jones to do an introduction. Dellen's a speech teacher and the vice president of suburban faculty from Local 1600. Thank you, Dellen. All right. How's everybody doing? First, I want to thank thank uh, those four young students uh, students that uh, gave their story, and uh, that's that was uh, very moving to me. This is a story that uh, we've been hearing a lot uh, more lately uh, because of funding issues in our state, as you guys uh, know about, and. It's uh, unfortunate that uh, we have to go through these times. But I tell you, um, I'm the vice president of the Cook County College Teachers Union, and it is our uh, desire to be able to make sure that our students have a good experience in college. And it becomes very important that we get our politicians to fund our community colleges. Uh, without that, we see how some of our young students are being affected. Uh, they're just trying to get their degree, and they want to be successful. Uh, they want to go down a road to success, and we have a responsibility to help them. And the one thing that I like is that we have a lot of young folks here, even if some of us are here for extra credit. Uh, <laughs> it's still good because we need you guys uh, to be involved in politics. And politicians are making decisions that are directly affecting you. Making decisions that are directly affecting you. And so it is not my desire to try to determine whether it's Democrat or Republican. I'm looking at those folks that are thinking about our students. That's who I'm looking for. And um, we have a senator here today that uh, changed his schedule. He didn't have a, a, a lot of notice. He didn't have a lot of notes. He didn't have to show up. He could have easily have said that I'm busy, I can't make it. Um, and also I want to thank 
Dr. Swanson and, and Lynn and other folks that worked, they, they did a lot of, Dr. Swanson did a lot of work putting this thing together. Lynn did the buttons and the cars and all of that stuff. They did a lot of stuff to get things together because they didn't have necessarily a lot of notice as well. And uh, Dr. Swanson called Senator McGuire and he found a way to get down here. That's what we need are politicians that have our best interests at heart. And I want to introduce uh, Senator Pat McGuire. He's the senator from the 43rd District of Illinois. He's the chair of the Higher Education Committee uh, in the Senate. He's been a very strong voice for community colleges for us. And uh, I really do want to thank him for changing his, his schedule to come up here. Ladies and gentlemen, we can please welcome Senator Pat McGuire. Thank you. So as was said, I'm Pat McGuire. I'm from Joliet. And Troy gave, Dr. Swanson gave a really good uh, summary of the history of the community college movement in the United States. Joliet Junior College was America's first public community college. It started in 1901. I wasn't there when it opened, but I was there about, really, just about 65 years later. I made three passes through Joliet Junior College. You know, one after high school, one after working a few other jobs. And what finally convinced me to go there and stay was I was working in a glass plant. There used to, uh, if, if, if I indulge in any sarcasm, I don't, I don't mean to be a jerk, but there used to be factories in this country. I was working in a glass factory just south of Joliet and uh, almost got my hand caught in a machine and pulled it out just in time. And uh, the older fella that was training me to operate the machine, he came up to me and he poked me in the chest and he said, I told you, you got to be careful. He didn't poke me with a full finger. He had lost his finger in the machine too. So I realized that if that was my future, I better get my good self back to college. So I went back to Joliet Junior College and I wound up working there. I worked in student support services uh, in a TRIO program. And, uh, uh, tutored students in uh, writing and I taught some developmental classes in, in writing. So with that English teacher background, I like to know the meaning of the words I use. So I'm here to talk to you about the budget impasse, how it came about and how we can break it. And you know, the root, the etymology of the word uh, impasse comes from a French term that means dead end. You cannot pass when you're at an impasse. And the contemporary meaning of impasse is a situation in which no progress is possible. But, I mean, that would drive all hope out of the room, wouldn't it? But there is progress that's possible, and I want to describe that to you. So, I'm 63 years old. I would have gone crazy a long time ago if somebody had not told me that one way to stay sane and uh, live a decent life is to find patterns, right? So in a literary work, you look for patterns. If you're in nursing or any medical line of work, you look for patterns in a person's health or disease. Um, so as I tell you how this budget impasse came about and how I think we can break it, I'd like you to listen for patterns, okay? So here's the deal with the budget. E every February, the governor of Illinois has to present a budget. So Bruce Rauner, of course, defeated my buddy Pat Quinn in uh, 2014 and was sworn in as governor in January 2015. So in February 2015, Governor Rauner presented his first budget. His budget was out of whack. His budget proposed spending more, billions more, than the state expected to take in in revenue, in taxes and federal grants. 
So the governor proposed a budget in which spending exceeded revenue, which doesn't work. We Democrats then fashioned a budget, adopted a budget, sent to the governor a budget that was also out of whack, that spent more than we projected we were going to have in revenue. So notice, both the Republican governor and the Democratic General Assembly proposed budgets in which spending exceeded revenue. The budget that we sent to the governor was comprised of 20 bills. So one bill for spending in prisons, one bill for spending on roads, etc. The governor vetoed totally 19 of those 20 bills. The only one that he signed was for K through 12 education, so that's why public schools opened on time. So we entered the fiscal year, Illinois' fiscal year begins on July 1st, with no budget other than K through 12 education. Well, you know, you're smart, you're well informed, you probably know that what happened was 90% of the budget, even though it hadn't been signed by the governor, 90% of this out of whack budget wound up being spent due to some what are called continuing appropriations due to some court orders, due to some consent decrees. So 90% of the budget went out the door. That's why there were still, you know, prison guards at Stateville. That's why there's still state troopers on Route 57 and Route 80, et cetera. The 10% of the budget that was stuck, because it wasn't covered by any of these uh, other provisos, was higher education and human services. So it's, to me, the cruelest of fates that those two crucial parts of our state higher education and human services didn't go funded for 2016. So last April, a Republican state representative, Mike Fortner, really good with numbers, he used to teach physics at NIU, he came over to me in the Senate and he said, maybe we need to, I mean, we need to do something. We need to get these schools some money. A full year budget seems out of reach, but maybe we should look for a short term solution. So Mike Fortner went back that was on a Thursday or Friday. Fortner went home that weekend and he drew up a bill. I think I was cutting the grass or something. And Fortner drew up a bill and he found a state fund that had $600 million in it that was sitting there, $600 million. I mean, consider the total state budget is over $70 billion. He found $600 million, drafted a bill, came back to Springfield on Monday, showed me the bill. We got input from others uh, during the week, especially the, the uh, Black Caucus. The House passed it on Thursday, this, no, the H Senate passed it on Thursday, one week to the day from when Mike and I had our initial conversation. Senate passed it on Thursday, House passed it on Friday, Governor signed it on Monday. Now that's like warp speed by Springfield standards, seriously, to get something done that quickly. Well, here's what's significant. So that bill came about due to a conversation between a Republican rep and a Democratic senator. That bill passed with all yes votes. So with all this partisan strife at the top among the leaders and the governor and the speaker, all yes votes in the Senate, all yes votes in the House, and Governor Rauner signed it within two days, two, three days of our passing it. Well, there were a couple significant features that, of that bill. I call it the winning formula. There were no turnaround agenda demands attached to it. You know, the governor has something called the turnaround agenda which would restrict collective bargaining, it would freeze property taxes, it would impose term limits. The number of items on his turnaround agenda varies from day to day. We have resisted the turnaround agenda, we Democrats, because it would hurt, it would hurt working families. It's that simple. So that bill that got $600 million out the door 
um, and gave schools and students money for first semester MAP grants, albeit several months late, gave community colleges and public universities about a third of their operating funds. So that bill passed with all yes votes in both chambers, signed by the governor. No turnaround agenda demands, and it was, there was no mystery money. It was an identified revenue source. The 600 million was there. It wasn't fictional. So I think that's significant. In April, the four legislative leaders and the governor set up a working group of 16 legislators, Democrats and Republicans. They crafted a budget for FY17, the current fiscal year. The leadership couldn't agree to it, so then we left Springfield on June 1st without a budget. So it looked like we were going to go through another fiscal year without a budget, right? Intensifying the duress that you're all feeling. So we were called back on June 30th, the last date of the fiscal year, and we passed another stopgap budget. That one got the MAP money to you for spring semester, and it got, um, I think, about 40 or 50 percent more of the operating grants for community colleges and public universities to those institutions. Uh, same features. No turnaround agenda demands, and the money was there. So that seems to me to be a productive route forward. So as, here I'm going to be frank with you, uh, the base pay for a legislator is $67,000. And uh, I'm a full-time legislator, I'm not a lawyer, I don't sell insurance. Um, no, I mean that's what some colleagues do. And when, <laughs> there's about 20 committees, so they're, they're, they're essentially subject area committees. So we have a, a committee on agriculture, we have a committee on transportation, we have a committee on human services, and um, when I became chair of higher education, I was told I'd get a stipend. And I'd heard this. I've, I've been in the legislature just four years. I heard that I was going to get a stipend, uh, an extra pay. I thought it was like a thousand bucks. It's ten thousand dollars for chairing the higher education committee. And uh, one, uh, some authority that comes to me with that is I get to decide what bills come before a committee and what bills don't come before the committee. Um, you know, so I run the committee meetings, but more so making that kind of money, um, I feel I ought to know what's going on at college campuses across the state. So, you know, I very much salute those four of you who spoke. Um, frankly, my stomach was hurting by the time you finished the things you said. Because when uh, Illinois Community College System was set up, working two or three jobs wasn't part of the plan. Uh, having to use textbooks you know, borrow them from the library rather than be able to buy them or rent them, that was not part of the plan. Going into debt, taking out loans, that was not part of the plan. So as Dr. Swanson said, we've grievously deviated from the original plan, which was adop adopted with bipartisan support on how to fund community colleges um, in the state of Illinois. So I just, if I look weary, I spent five hours on the train last night coming back from Carbondale. And so I visited uh, SEIU, SIU Carbondale and three community colleges down there. Um, it's a poor part of the state. You know, the coal mines have closed. There's not much. Those schools cannot front their students' MAP money anymore. Um, those schools have laid off people. And here, I want you, to, again, to listen for a pattern. So before I went to the Carbondale area, um, in the last few weeks, I went to Eastern. And it should not be any secret that of Illinois' nine public universities of the four years, 
The ones that are financially healthy are the U of I and ISU. The others need help badly. And the, the people that work at these schools and the administration, the Board of Trustees, they're doing their best. But again, they've been short-funded by the state of Illinois. And it's just, I mean, it's shameful. It's, it's mind-blowing that here in Illinois, with a population of nearly 13 million residents, fifth most populous state in the country, we have the fifth largest economy in the country, we have the 15th largest economy on the planet, the economy of Illinois is bigger than that of Turkey, it's bigger than that of Poland, that we might have to shut down a state university or more. So when I visit these college towns, I meet with the president, I meet with the union president, and then I meet with the local legislators. Those legislators are Republicans. When I was at Western Illinois, I had a very productive conversation with Senator Dale Ryder, who's a conservative Republican. I'm not a conservative Republican. Dale and I, Senator Ryder and I, want to do something to help Eastern Illinois University. When I was in Macomb, I met with Representative Noreen Hammond, a conservative Republican. We had a good conversation about what we might be able to do to help Western Illinois University. So I hope you see a pattern here of bipartisanship among rank-and-file legislators, right? Mike Fortner from the House comes over to the Senate, talks to me. That was the, the genesis of a $600 million bill for higher ed last April. Dale Ryder takes me out to lunch in Charleston when I visit Eastern. Noreen Hammond finds me when I'm at Western, and we have conversations. So, of course, the question is, what can you do? You need to put flesh and blood on this situation. I mean, as ardent as I believe I am about getting MAP grants funded and getting operating grants to Moraine and every other public institution of higher learning in the state, even calls to fund MAP, fund MAP, fund higher ed, I become inured to them after a while. But I'm telling you, when I heard that you can't afford all your textbooks, right, and you use the library copies to study, and that you work three jobs, that sticks with me. So it's, it, it's those, I mean, you decide how, how much of your personal lives you want to disclose. I mean, I'm a pretty imaginative guy. I majored in English, right? But uh, I cannot, I, as I said in Southern Illinois, I could stay up every night for a month and drink moonshine, and I would not be able to imagine everyone's particular situation. It's just beyond the ken of my imagination. So we need to hear that from you. For instance, Lewis University is in my district. I never served in the military. I assume that the GI Bill covered all of a veteran's education. It doesn't in every case. These six veterans who are attending Lewis came to see me. Two of them, one a mother of four, single parent, she's waiting for her MAP grant. I had no idea that men and women that served our country get only partial funding from the GI Bill and they still need MAP to supplement it. So I offer that as an example of something that was unimaginable to me that I needed to hear. I looked into it. There are 600 veterans in Illinois waiting for their MAP grants. 600. So what I would encourage you to do is write to newspapers, write to the governor, write to the legislative leaders. That's Speaker Michael Madigan, House Minority Leader Jim Durkin, uh, my caucus leader, Senate President John Cullerton, and the Republican leader in the, in the Senate, uh, Christine Rodonio, and tell your story. So if you'd be willing to, you know, and relate those kinds of things that our four panelists did, 
That gets our attention. That gets our attention. We have six days of session in um, mid and late November that'll be veto session. And uh, for instance, one bill that we might vote to override the governor's veto on is it's, it's a wage increase for what are called direct service providers. So these are people who really, I mean, they do most honorable work. They work for human service agencies and they take care of people who are developmentally disabled in their home. Yeah, well, the average wage is nine and a quarter. Oh. Well, in Joliet, where I live, we have these big warehouses, two Amazon fulfillment centers that pay 14, 15 bucks an hour. That's where some of the DSPs that work for groups like Trinity Services and Cornerstone and Easter Seals, they're leaving because they can make five, six bucks more at the Amazon warehouse. So we're losing people like you, skilled, dedicated, compassionate, right? Who go into the homes of people unable to care for themselves and right, bathe them, clothe them, feed them. They're leaving for understandable reasons to make more money at the warehouse. And sometimes yes. So we passed a bill that had bipartisan sponsorship to raise the wage of direct service providers to fifteen dollars. The governor vetoed it. Because we don't have revenue to support it. So when we go back in veto session again, mid November, late November. Uh, it's up to the sponsors of the bill whether or not they're going to uh, bring it before us and ask us to overturn the governor's veto, to thwart the governor's veto. That takes a supermajority, um, not a simple majority. And then when we go back in January for the lame duck session, because it's a new calendar year, we reset and we can pass bills with just a simple majority. So we can't seek to override vetoes, but if, there, if a bill comes forth that would be a combination of cuts, in state spending and new revenue so that Illinois does have, have the revenue to support the needs of its residents. We could vote on that in early January and if we get 30 bills in the Senate it would pass. If the House gets 60 it would pass. Yes? them and it's sad because my parents can barely make men's eat like I had I have to work my sister has a hard time she has a bachelor's in psychology she can't even get a job and FAFSA won't even help her cover masters for her master's program so it doesn't make sense like FAFSA is not doing much I just got covered for FAFSA so it's it's not right I tried calling Governor Rauner to like harass him <laughs> like, like I, like I was, like I, I harassed him. Like, like I kept calling him, and they're like, "You need to stop calling, ma'am." <laughs> and I, like, nothing's working, and I'm getting so frustrated, and I, I don't know what to do anymore, really. Well, I applaud your efforts. So I mentioned the word revenue. I don't know how many letters are in it, but it's considered a dirty word in politics because it's a synonym for a five-letter word, taxes. 
um, how can I put this? I don't know if there's anybody in the room that'll understand my comparisons here, my metaphors, but Illinois sales tax, it's like playing a metal 78 RPM record on a Victrola. Illinois started sales tax in 1930. We have one of the narrowest sales tax bases in the country. So the rate has gone up since 1930, but the things that we tax has not gone up. Our income tax was created in 1970. That was the era of eight tracks. So I don't think any of us are playing 78 RPM, RPM records on a high fidelity records on a phonograph, nor are we listening to eight tracks. So Illinois is way, way behind, decades behind in modernizing its tax structure. That's why you hear about a structural deficit. So again, the fact that Governor Rauner introduced a budget that was out of whack, right, that spent more than we knew was going to be coming in, and the fact that we Democrats adopted a budget that was out of whack, spent more than we knew was coming in, I think that's tacit acknowledgement on both the part of the Republican governor and the Democratic legislators that we need more revenue to give the people of Illinois what they need, right? Well, the, who's going to go first? So candidate Rauner talked about raising taxes. For instance, candidate, Ra candidate Rauner talked about broadening the sales tax. So the way I put it is all those things that my mom and dad did that I don't do anymore. I didn't wash and iron this shirt. I didn't change oil in my car the last time it needed to. I don't shovel my own driveway anymore. I pay people to do that. We don't tax that in Illinois. If you live in Wisconsin, you pay taxes on those things. If you live in Iowa, you pay taxes on those things. Those states have modernized their tax system because the service sector is now the largest part of our economy, right? But we still tax as if we had steel mills. We still tax as if what's up in Willow Springs was Fisher Body rather than UPS. So we're way, way behind. So I'm not saying we should look to Cuba or Massachusetts, Iowa. How crazy is Iowa? And common sense. So they tax a reasonable number of services. They have a progressive income tax with nine brackets. We are one of the few states, only I think it's 13 states with a flat income tax, right? Everybody pays 3%. That's not fair. That's a regressive tax. We don't tax services. We need to do that. And there, you know, there have been studies issued throughout the years by groups uh, all along the political spectrum. So two that I look at are the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability, which is supported by unions and human service agencies, and the Civic Federation of Chicago. Uh, the executive director is a guy named Lawrence Masala. I asked him in a committee hearing, who is the Civic Federation? He said Chicago's corporate elite. Guess what? The recommendations of the union human services supported group and the recommendations of the corporate elite supported group have become almost synonymous. Adopt a progressive income tax and broaden the sales tax. That's what we need to do. Yes? Y yes. Um, this recalls uh, Will Rogers was asked, do you belong to any political party? He said, no, I'm a Democrat. I belong to no organized political party. We passed it in the Senate. It did not pass. The, it wasn't called for a vote in the House. So yeah, there's been work over the last couple sessions to change the Illinois Constitution, to give you voters the opportunity to change the Illinois Constitution, take out the word flat, put in the word progressive. Um, so uh, I'm a sponsor of that bill to 
put it on the ballot, but it has not made it through the House yet because the Speaker has favored a tax on millionaires rather than a, a progressive tax. So in April, the four legislative leaders and the governor agreed to form a working group on the budget. I think I mentioned that, but I want to be more specific. So Democrats and Republicans, House and Senate members, and they worked with the governor's budget director, who's, what, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I teach accounting, and I can tell you the great majority of people have no idea of the difference between a flat and a progressive. Would so politicians love to throw out progressive. Um, you know, you hear uh, if, if Hillary's elected, she's going to raise taxes. Yeah, but nobody understands what that means as far as, like, the top tax bracket. From just general conversations, people do not understand the tax bracket. So my suggestion to you and all politicians, you have to explain that. Um, I'll poll my students and I'll ask, what's the, what's the tax rate in Illinois? I'll have maybe 5% who actually know it's 3%. Right. So the great majority have no clue how it all works. And I think part of it is, as you're throwing out those words, mm -hmm. you need to explain exactly what that is because a great majority of people have no idea how pr what a progressive is, what the various tax brackets are. People think like, oh, if I go from the 25 to 28 percent tax bracket, all my dollars get taxed at 28 percent, which is completely false. So just a little suggestion. I have to run to a meeting, but I wanted to throw no. that out there before. No, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think traditionally we we notice I'm saying we, not them. We've been afraid to talk to people about taxes and. We've been, um, uh, we have not leveled with the public about what it costs to provide you with the services you want. This is horrible, but you know, an old definition of government is, and budgeting is a choice between smooth roads and healthy babies. And those are the choices we have to make um, when we have the structural deficit and we lack sufficient revenue. So, you know, MAP grants being shorted, right? I mean, in the stopgap budget that I described that we passed on June 30th, there's no money for MAP. So the first, uh, not, for, not for the current semester, there's no money for FY17 MAP. At, uh, do you have an, uh, an on-campus child care center? Okay. Uh, the schools I visited in Southern Illinois, they've had to close them. So s students aren't able to continue their educations at Shawnee Community College and Rend Lake and Southeastern Illinois College. So, um, oh, so, if I'm, so this budget working group, so Democrats and Republicans, they worked with the governor's budget director, whose name is Tim Newding, who we all sincerely respect. They identified a almost $8 billion hole in the current year budget, and they proposed filling it with $5 billion in new revenue and almost $3 billion in cuts. What's the matter? What the well, those weren't specified. I think in Medicaid and maybe some, uh, you know, government efficiencies. You know, we have three uh, state departments that oversee higher ed: um, Illinois Student Assistance Commission, which administers MAP, of course, Illinois Community College Board, and Illinois Board of Higher Ed. The governor wants to consolidate the three of them. It would save two million a year. Um, but so again, this bipartisan group—they worked throughout the month of May. And they came up with this plan, $5 billion in new revenue, raising the income tax, broadening the sales tax, covering, uh, taxing sugary drinks, closing some corporate loopholes, and then Illinois' perennial remedy, more casinos. Well, so 
again, a bipartisan group, House and Senate members, Dems and Republicans, came up with, I call it a sketch, because it's not even in a bill yet. And then Newding, the governor's budget director, called legislators in, about 10 or 12 of us at a time, and briefed us on it. So that's significant that the governor's budget director called legislators in and briefed us on this plan, which is a combination of broader taxes, higher taxes, and uh, cuts in state spending. Well, then the four leaders who I mentioned before and the governor, they couldn't agree on it. That's why we left town without a budget and came back on June 30th to adopt this stopgap budget. And again, you're, you know, when, when you were speaking, I kept hearing the word struggle. The struggle is real. It's a struggle, right? I need to hear about your struggle. Bruce Rauner needs to hear about your struggle. Michael Madigan needs to hear about your struggle. John Cullerton needs to hear about it. Christine Rodonio needs to hear about it. Jim Durkin needs to hear about it. I mean, you, you, you need to make it real for us. Very, very real. Yes, sir. Student question back here. Uh, you said we had like the fifth, fifth highest in the U.S., I think, revenue. No, uh, no, no. Largest, largest economy. The fifth largest economy. Oh, okay, so our revenue is not the fifth highest. No. Oh, okay. I was going to ask, where is all that money going? <laughs> but our, prop our property taxes are the second highest in the country. Well, one reason our property taxes are so high is because, again, of this insufficient revenue at the state level. I was on the school board in Joliet for 12 years, Joliet Township High School District 204, Joliet West, Joliet Central. We were forced to raise property taxes because the Constitution of the State of Illinois says that the state should provide a majority of funding for local public schools, K through 12. The state doesn't provide a majority of the funding for K through 12 public schools. That's why school board members need to raise property taxes. If the state had more revenue through a broad-based fair tax system, right, then the state could fulfill its constitutional obligation, send more money to STAG, send more money to JT, send more money, right, to other public school districts, and the pressure to raise property taxes would, would end. I'm coming. I just kind of uh, echoing what you were saying, sir. Um, I know definitely I'm on the cusp of the social media age, digital age. I'm not very good with it. And I have a good call to arms for our students who are very savvy when it comes to Twitter and it comes to, I know I think Facebook is out, right? Nobody really uses Facebook your age anymore. But it's more Twitter or Snapchat or whatever, um, Instagram, to start a type of campaign at, at that type of level, telling your stories with a cute little hashtag that somebody more inventive than I will, will think of, telling these stories and, and maybe generating some, some type of momentum. Because as you said, if you start getting the, the attention of, of the news media, then it will force uh, the higher up politicians to take notice of it, and and those they love human interest stories. That's what that's what sells, right? Either it's either unfortunately shootings or nice little you know public interest stories that make people smile and feel good about themselves or struggles. So I, that's my recommendation for our students here to be able to if you feel you want to do something, do that. It's a great suggestion, and y you know you got to pierce through a lot of the state's other problems. Um, when a legislator is newly elected, he or she is invited to go to new member training, which I call rookie school. And some of the best advice I got there was, you can't be, a, you can't be an expert in everything. I mean, we have like 3,000 bills coming at us every spring, right? You can't be an expert in everything. So one of the elders said, learn other people's specialties and then develop your own. 
So my, what I am devoting a lot of my time to, higher education and prisons. So we need to do a lot of work to reform our criminal justice system. And I want to give you a very prosaic example. Last November, I went to Barber College graduation at Stateville Penitentiary. Stateville is one of three maximum security prisons in the state. The others are Pontiac and Menard. It's the only maximum security prison in the country with a Barber College. So I went in there. The Stateville choir was singing. I didn't know they had a choir. And there were 18 graduates. 15 graduated as barbers, two as technicians. No, 15 as barbers, one as a technician, and two as shoeshine specialists. And the guy that runs the program, Bobby Madison, he said, you know, every, every uh, self-respecting barbershop has a shoeshine specialist. He said, go over there and get your shoeshine. And there was a shoeshine chair, you know. Well, it was elevated, as shoeshine chairs are. I was afraid to go over there because it looked too much like the electric chair. So I met one of the graduates, a guy named Kelly, and I congratulated him about the program, I, about completing the program. I said, tell me about the program. He said, you can't have any disciplinary write-ups, tickets as they call them. Uh, you have to have a GED. It's 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., five days a week for a year. So that's a, right? I mean, this guy could just lay in his bunk and imagine things. But he got into the Barber College and took the classes and, and graduated. And I said to Kelly, when are you getting out? I mean, you can see me, right? I assume these guys were at the end of their bids. They were getting out in a year or two, going home to cut hair, right? I said to Kelly, when are you getting out? This was last November. 2044. Then we learned, Will Davis, state rep from not far from here, we were at the graduation. We learned that while these uh, 15, uh, yeah, 15 guys were graduating from the Barber College, when they do serve their time and get home under existing Illinois law, they can't get barber's licenses because they're felons. So we train them, we use your tax dollars to train these men to cut hair while they're in. Once they're out, they can't get barber's licenses. So I offer that as, a, again, a prosaic example of the kind of connections, improvements we need to make in state government. And, you know, there's thousands of those and so I'm working on prisons. I'm working on higher ed. There's only so many hours in the day. So again, tell great stories, okay? And let us know. Thanks. Thank you so much, Senator McGuire. That was fantastic. Um, we have work to do, I think. You know, the, they need to hear from us. And if you think our, um, you know, the, the word politician sometimes has become a dirty word. They hear us. When they hear people who vote, they act. And that's how you get heard, is you show up to vote and be vocal. Um, that concludes our program. If you are not registered to vote, the table over there has um, forms you can fill out. Be heard. Thank you for coming. Thank you, faculty. Thank you, Trustee Coleman and my partners. Thank you again, Senator. Have a good day.